0: This EB-5 Superheroes episode is sponsored by FMB EB-5 Hope. FMB EB-5 is bringing hope to downtown Los Angeles and EB-5 investors who believe in the American dream. Visit FMBEB5.com to learn more and speak with EB-5 superhero Matt Trush to join an EB-5 project today. Episode 17, EB-5 superhero Irina Rostova, top EB-5 attorney and managing director of the Domlin.
1: You're listening to the EB5 Superheroes Podcast. Join host Matt Trush as he interviews the EB5 industry's courageous men and women, leaders protecting the path to the American dream for the good guys and foiling the sinister plots of the not-so-good guys. Billions of dollars and families' lives are at stake. Go behind the scenes as our EB5 superheroes tell their stories of triumph against adversity, paving a brighter future for EB5. And now, financial engineer. Industry expert, an EB-5 superhero, Matt Trush.
0: Welcome to the EB-5 Superheroes Podcast. I'm Matt Trush, your host. For those of us living in the EB-5 world, we've grown thick skin and learned to buckle up tight for the roller coaster ride we lovingly call EB-5. EB-5 is an incredible federal program that has brought tens of billions of dollars to the U.S. economy, created hundreds of thousands of new jobs, and helped countless families legally immigrate to the U.S., but it's been a bumpy ride to say the least. There have been cases of fraud, swinging pendulums of regulatory uncertainty, unnecessarily long processing times, program sunsets, and even twilight. But today we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. EB-5 can once again become the best and fastest and most stable letter combinations in the alphabet of U.S. immigration paths. EB-5 can regain its highly competitive position versus other countries' immigration investment programs. EB-5 is poised to navigate America out of another economic downturn. Now is the time, more than ever, for the good guys and good gals to make the dream a reality again for those who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. Meet the EB-5 superheroes who are on the front lines making positive change. The courageous leaders who are shaping the course of EB-5 for good and triumphing against adversity. Get the inside scoop, hear their stories, learn from real-life successes and failures, Billions of dollars and families' lives are at stake. Join me in welcoming EB5 superhero Irina Rostova, top EB5 attorney and managing director of the Dalmore Group. EB5 Superhero, Irina Rostova, welcome to the EB5 Superheroes podcast.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here.
0: Irina, I hope it's okay that I brag about you just a bit. Irina Rostova applies her extensive experience in banking and immigration law to her current work with international investors, assisting them in obtaining U.S. residency through the EB5 Immigrant Investor Program. Irina currently serves as Managing Director of the Dalmer Group a FINRA-registered securities brokerage firm that assists EB-5 investors in the process of selecting a project. Irina is a top EB-5 attorney. She is the founding partner of the Rostova Westerman Law Group, a full-service immigration law firm with a focus on business and investor visas. Fluent in Russian, Irina is famous for her IIUSC EB-5 explainer in Russian, and I'll put the link in the show notes. EB5 Superhero (laughs) Irina, thank you again for joining the EB5 Superheroes podcast.
2: Matt, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here and happy to talk about the program, which I genuinely love and enjoy working with.
0: Wonderful, Irina. Before we hear more about EB-5, I think we'd all like to get to know you a little bit better. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? And and finally, how did you get into EB-5?
2: Absolutely. I'm happy to. So my background, I am a Russian speaker who was born in Lithuania back when it was the Soviet Union. So I have to date myself a little bit here. I spent my early childhood in Lithuania and then... I moved for high school and university Well, my family moved to the United States. I lived in Michigan, graduated from the University of Michigan. My bachelor's was in economics. And then I moved down to South Florida, worked for Chase Bank for a few years in retail bank management, went to law school, and as I was graduating law school and started to practice, I Heard about the EB-5 program, started researching it actually for a family friend. She was looking to move from Europe to the United States. I thought EB-5 was a very suitable option for her. She didn't have any relatives here. She was not going to seek a perm or any sort of a work visa because she has always had her own business abroad and she wanted to do something similar here. So as I researched the different programs, I realized EB-5 is a great option. There was only one challenge. I could barely find any attorneys that have ever worked with this program. This was about 12 years ago. And more so out of those attorneys, I couldn't find Russian-speaking attorneys that knew the program well. And this was a Russian-speaking client. And so I saw a vast opportunity there, kind of a need that was not being filled, because I knew from my family, friends, network, business network, that there are a lot of Russian speaking former Soviet Union countries, you know, Kazakhstan, Russia, Ukraine there were a lot of entrepreneurs who really wanted to relocate to the United States and had the means to do it, but really couldn't figure out how. EB-5 provided that route, but we couldn't really find practitioners that were very familiar with it. So I started researching the program while I Went to an EB5 conference in the Bahamas. It was such a such a tough thing to do. But nice you place know, to get all started, the days. Right. <laughs> right I, I I had to help a family friend. I was like, oh, I'll have to take a trip to the Bahamas to go learn more. And so the more I learned, the more I really understood how well the industry worked. By then we already had established regional centers, projects that people could invest into, but just few professionals who specialized in it. Because My background was I had my economic degree, I worked in banking for years. So I understood banking procedures, sourcing funds, documents and things like that. And now I had my law degree. And so it kind of paved the road to really focus on this program. 12 or so years later, Here we are. It has been a very fulfilling career, especially in my early years when I started working with multiple families, actually seeing our work product. You know, we were able to put them in projects. They were financing very useful projects too. You know, there were some infrastructure, hospitals, the multifamily charter schools. So seeing that my clients were doing something good for the U.S. economy but also were able to get their residency, bring their families here to a more stable environment. It's been incredibly fulfilling. Over the years, though, we started to run into more challenges, which are slowed processing times with USCIS, confusion about the review, and then just the mental attitude that I think is so mistaken, where USCIS often sees the investors as potential, like almost as as if a prosecutor- Potential criminals. Looks, <laughs> you, potential criminals. You
0: wouldn't think that these and are the just, people who are trying to attract these new potential Americans to come to this country, and they don't give them the benefit of the doubt in many cases.
2: Yes, and I find the whole thing so silly because I work in immigration and I see different people. If you are a potential criminal or if you have a criminal mindset, the last thing you're going to do is spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to invest into EB-5, the first thing you're going to do is a fake marriage. You know, if you have a criminal mindset, a fake marriage is one of the most accessible, cost-effective ways to scam your way into the country. You do not go through nearly as many review processes as you would with the EB-5 visa. It doesn't take as long. And it's just really easily accessible. I would actually say that
0: the EB-5 is probably the, the most vetted money that comes to America of all investments right? And, I mean, it, it's really an incredible amount mm-hmm. of, of, as you said, hoops that they have to go through in order mm-hmm. to to make it into the program. And as you said, there's so many other ways that if they wanted to cut corners, they could. EB5 is definitely the the most conservative and I would say legal approach to immigration coming to the States. Would you agree?
2: Absolutely. I mean, just by the basic requirements of the program that the money you're investing has to be vetted, Versus if you're an immigrant coming through a perm, through a work green card, or a family-based green card, through a marriage-based green card, there's no requirement for any of your money to be vetted or reviewed. So if you're a criminal, why in the world would you go through the EB-5 program? So definitely there's a lot of frustration with it, just the lack of understanding and common sense in that area. Of course, we want to source the funds that are going through EB-5, but Reasonable standards need to be applied to that. We diverted slightly from the history and going back. I really wanted to know about
0: somebody from Lithuania who speaks Russian. Do you speak other languages as well?
2: Uh, If I have a couple of glasses of wine, I start to understand a lot of Spanish Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I've lived in South Florida for a long time. I used to speak a little conversational Lithuanian, but I lost it all when we moved to the U.S.
0: And why did your family come to the U.S.? What was the impetus at that time?
2: You know, it was an interesting story. At the time, my parents actually applied for the program that we came through. That was 1990. The Soviet Union was falling apart. There was a lot of instability. And being in Lithuania at the time, we didn't know what was going to happen. Does it become a separate country? What happens? And so they applied for different immigration programs to different countries. A year later, when they received responses from those countries, they decided to stay because by then they started their own business. Things were going well. And in 1997, seven years later, we received a letter and an invitation to an interview from the United States embassy in Moscow. (laughs) <laughs> so it's you know talking about long processing times my parents forgot that they ever applied but at the time they thought about it and they felt like although they were doing well in lithuania the future was still very uncertain for my sister and i and they felt like we would have a more stable life here in the united states so Do you think that's that because think? you
0: yourself are an immigrant that that's what brought you into the immigration space of law
2: Not really. I tried to stay away from the immigrants. So, so many immigration attorneys say, you know, the process was so difficult. It made me want to become an immigration lawyer. I went through the process as a teenager and frankly, didn't think about it until I was an adult. I think what brought me into the process was my later experiences, you know, my business mind and the understanding that there was a demand for people to move and the business side of this program, I really love the fact that you could do good on both sides. you know you can really work with projects, real estate projects, and development, but also help people achieve a goal of relocating their family to a safer place so uh, until I learned about a b five I had absolutely no intention of becoming an immigration attorney wow um,
0: <laughs> it's incredible The truth is that you find People in our industry, in the EB-5 space, they are really good people and they sort of, we all get a high from it. Not only helping the business aspect, but also helping these families and seeing them achieving their American dreams. It's really very, very rewarding. It takes a special kind of person, I think, to be an EB-5 because, you know, you could, I'm sure they're more lucrative areas of law or business. But definitely, I think the the personal reward and the professional reward is, is bigger than anything else I've, I see out there.
2: Absolutely. I think that they're, they're creative minds, they're business-oriented people who really like the idea of bringing together people who have the means and people who have the knowledge and the expertise and they're creating projects and they're moving forward. I once spoke to, to a friend in the B5 industry about the hotel business and she was sharing with me why her regional center does a lot of hotel projects She said that she loves the idea that a person working in a hotel industry can go from a very modest background, no formal education, as so many smart people don't have access to university education because it's cost prohibitive. She said you can start in a hotel, in the lobby, at the bell desk, and work your way up towards management, towards senior positions. So that whole industry provides amazing career growth for people with no formal education. And it was just such a great reason to want to do these projects and want to do more of them. So yeah, I I do see that. We have seen such a tremendous impact, for example, on the state of Florida with charter schools. So charter schools, depending which state and the laws and, and how they operate, they have either been very successful or very unsuccessful Florida, and this is credit to the legislators, they implemented some very strict rules. If you're operating a charter school, you have to stay at a certain level. And then EB-5 financing really helped to build a lot of these schools here in Florida. And we have seen the public school system really transform because the charter schools came into some of the worst areas, were able to provide education that was level a schools to the students where there was a high need, and it really encouraged the schools around them to compete and stay better. So we have seen Florida go, I believe we were in the country, like in the 30s out of the 50 states, we're somewhere in the 30s, and now we're close to the top 10 when it comes to the public school system. You know, just seeing a a lot of this money transforms areas, neighborhoods, and so on. Great.
0: Great. You know, we're talking just before that the world was impacted by COVID and EB-5 too. What do you think is the biggest positive impact of the RIA on the EB-5 program? And where do we go from here?
2: Uh, Well, I think the biggest impact of generally what has happened in the last few years. Well, can I talk about a personal, something that I personally love that happened during COVID?
0: Please. I love a lot. Of I, I think the whole world has been transformed. It, obviously, yeah. it was very difficult on many, many people. Many lives were lost and many people, families and, and situ- personal situations were challenged. But I think we've all gained a great deal by learning the lessons from COVID. So let's hear yours.
2: So we, I was trying to get my clients to do Zoom calls for ages before, before we went into COVID because I think it provides you Everything you need in a personal meeting so you can actually see a person, you see their reaction, which is very important to build trust. But it removes all the logistical challenges, you know, the driving, the traffic. For me, I traveled always a lot because I'm constantly speaking at conferences and participating in different events. So it was harder for me to spend a lot of days physically in the office to meet my clients. Zoom allowed me to meet with them more frequently. But of course, most people are old school, especially foreign investors. They still wanted in-person meetings. COVID has really transformed that for me. Now we have more flexibility. People got very comfortable with video conferences and I love it. So that, that's been a big personal kind of transformation that we we went through. Listen, anytime there's an economic challenge, there's good and bad. Resetting industries, recessions. Recessions are not... Bad as a fact. Recessions are a reset. If you fail to have a recession, if you artificially prevent a recession from happening, what usually happens in the economy is certain bad practices enhance even more. And when they fall through, they fall through badly. Like we've seen, you know, kind of with the housing crisis and mortgage crisis in 2008, we were due for a recession in 2000. Every 10 years, the US economy generally goes through a recession. In 2000, we were due for one. It was suppressed kind of artificially with the politicians, with the incentives and so on. And as a result, prices and prices of real estate continued to climb, which means more and more betting and mortgage systems were created in such a way that they were betting on the fact that prices were gonna continue to climb. As a result, when there was a fall, there was a massive fall. So things like that can be, not prevented by a recession, but exposed by a recession. But if you hold off on a recession for too long, it it becomes worse. So with COVID, it it was an incredibly challenging time, I think for social and other reasons too. However, obviously good things have come out of it. We have learned certain lessons in terms of creating certain safety procedures. In the EB-5 industry, I know some projects have struggled, but most of the projects do have extensions on their timeline where the developer can ask for an extension to repay the loan. And investors have been incredibly understanding of those needs. We're seeing business is booming again. So lots of new kind of demand in construction. So I think we will recover well. And as an industry, I think that It was relatively resilient. Again, because of the extension options and many, many loans, most of the projects that I know of where they are delayed a little bit with the repayment, the projects are still working. They're operational and the assets have not lost all of their value. They just need a couple of years to reset and I think that's being factored into, obviously, as new projects are being built, the types of restructuring, the type of repayment, what happens if we have another pandemic or a major global economic event. All of those things are great to consider. One thing I should share that was good for me during COVID I practiced immigration law for many years, and I have been meaning to become a FINRA licensed broker because. Although there were few attorneys 10 years ago who knew the EB-5 program when I started, fast forward 10 years, now we're seeing quite a few uh, professionals who have been working with the EB-5 program learned how to do it, and it's wonderful. So at this day and age, I can say there's quite a few immigration attorneys that know EB-5, yet in the entire country, we have less than, I believe, 15 FINRA licensed brokers who actually know the EB-5 program and work with it. And out of those 15, I believe are about half are active because some of them used to work with the Chinese market and they're not active anymore. So during COVID, COVID actually gave me an opportunity and gave me time to study and take the tests because there's a pretty extensive tests. So that's why for the past two and a half years, I've been a licensed broker and have been helping clients now in that capacity
0: so that's amazing. I wanted to ask you about this pivot. So
2: mm-hmm.
0: it sounds like both with EB five and now with the the BD space broker dealer space, you saw a need. You saw that it was un. Filled and there was a great opportunity for you to jump in and take a leading role beyond the fact that, um, there's a great need and there's so few licensed broker dealers in the states who are in the EB5 space and your amazing EB5 uh, legal background. What was it that made you decide that you wanted to get into the, into the broker dealer space? Was there something that you weren't able to do as an attorney that now you are able to, to do? And, and is that your main concentration or are you wearing two hats?
2: Excellent questions. So. Exactly. I saw that as an attorney, I was frustrated because the first thing that your clients ask is, what kind of projects can we invest in? As an attorney, you don't get paid for project selection process. Because if projects can pay a finder's fee or a commission to those who bring them investors, but in the US, they can only pay licensed investment brokers. So here I was in the position of an immigration attorney, having to give my client advice and spending my time on something that A, I was not receiving compensation for, but also I had the limited capacity to do because as an attorney, I can generally look at the experience of the regional center, look at their contracts and sort of tell them which projects and which regional centers are more reputable and less reputable and explain the general legal structure But as an attorney, I could not do independent due diligence. I couldn't do bad actor's checks. I just could not get in-depth in the project selection process. And so it was just an unmet need for the clients. You know, the clients had to do a lot of their own research, a lot of their own due diligence. I would always point them in the direction of the best, most reputable regional centers, but they still had to do a lot of their own legwork. Being a FINRA broker has changed that for me because... I'm a broker within Experience Brokerage. We have a compliance team that does our own due diligence. So I sort of pick the projects from the best regional centers and give it to our compliance team, and they review to make sure that this is an SEC-compliant project, that it complies with the latest immigration rules, and we do our own independent bad actors check to make sure that none of the principals of the project have had any negative history And then we're able to present pre-vetted options to investors. It's still the investor's choice. We do not choose for them. We're not technically providing financial advice, but we are helping them with the selection process and the pre-vetting process. So that's exactly what you said. You know, I saw an opportunity and I saw a a need that was not being met. I did wear both hats for two years. Initially, I was just helping my own law firm's clients And now I actually have some very exciting news that I can share on the podcast. As I saw that my decision was the right decision to start helping clients more as a broker-dealer, and there was truly a lot of unmet demand there, I decided to stop wearing both hats. And I have stepped away from the practice of law. I'm still kind of a silent partner in my law firm because there's still certain ongoing matters, but my law partner is the one handling them. And I am now a full-time broker dealer. I manage the EB-5 department in my brokerage. And what I also did is since I'm no longer taking EB-5 clients as an immigration attorney, I decided that I wanted to share all my knowledge and actually help other immigration attorneys be better. Because I created a training program, and an entire portal of checklist practice tools and samples, sample filings, sample RFE filings, and so on. Things that I created within my law firm for my team and that we used to use, I put them all in this portal and I'm making it accessible to immigration attorneys who want to improve their skills in filing B-5 petitions or who want to learn how to do it. Because I also feel like EB-5 is now going to be on the rise and in demand, because we're seeing that some other programs that people were able to use, like PERMs, they're going to be backlogged. And I see a lot of young practitioners who really want to help their EB-5 or potential EB-5 clients. They're getting referrals for EB-5 clients, but they don't know where to start. So it's a whole free system for immigration attorneys that's going to be available to them. They can use it anytime they want. I created a website called eb5supportforattorneys.com. Immigration attorneys can go. The portal is right there. They log in to register. And anytime, if they're learning about the process or if they have an ongoing client, they can just log in and see what practice tools are available for them. I think it's going to be helpful.
0: Irina, you are a wonder woman. I can't believe this. This is incredible. (laughs) I didn't expect that you're free. <laughs> I can't believe. It.
2: Well, so so there's there's a reason be- behind it because when I used to practice, a lot of attorneys would reach out to me and say, "Listen, I really want to. I have a client. He needs the EB five visa, but I'm green in this. Can we co counsel?" The reality is it's just an, it wasn't really worth a lot of my time to co counsel. At this point, I already have the tools and I have the materials. I would like more attorneys to have access to it because also they are not going to be engaged in the process of project selection. So when that client is serious and is moving forward, they're going to need a broker who's going to help them with the project selection. And the way I see it is hopefully, obviously they'll keep me in mind and loop me in the process to help the client in the project selection. But it's also because I feel like we were losing so many good prospective EB-5 investors who would waste their time with other programs like L1 visas and building out complex businesses that would lose money because their immigration attorney didn't know how to work with the EB-5 program. So amazing. Yeah. I do believe that we need to be improving whatever industry we're working with. And that's kind of my contribution.
0: I think it's great. I think first of all you're providing a huge service for the attorneys out there who are green in EB5 as you call them. And second, okay. it really is a a funnel hopefully to, you know, have you become a mentor to these attorneys and of course when they're looking for a project they might reach out to your brokerage and so that's a very good business card that you have mm-hmm. to to connect with them. So I think that's really, really great. I'm very proud of you for this. That's incredible. It's really great news. I'm also proud that we get to announce it here on the EB5 Superheroes Podcast. Definitely the right place. Yeah. Let me tell you a little bit about my background. I am the NCE fund manager mm-hmm. for a TEA project in downtown LA it's
1: mm-hmm. called FMB
0: EB5 Hope. And mm-hmm. we are raising EB5 capital. It's an amazing project. It's got all the good things that you could expect from EP5 Project. So what would I need to do if I wanted to cooperate with your broker-dealer? What would our conversation be like in terms of me as a project manager, speaking with you, now a full-time BD at the Delmar Group?
2: That's a wonderful question, and I'm definitely happy to share it on this podcast. So the first thing is you would email me and reach out to me to tell me about your project and send me a summary. Because we have a few brokers now at Dalmore, We collaborate on deciding which projects we will onboard. But ultimately, I am sort of in charge of looking at a bunch of different projects and suggesting them to the team. What we look for is to try to pick projects that we think will be a good fit for our clients. For example, if one of our eight brokers is working a lot with the Indian market, then we need rural. At this point, we need a rural project for the set-asides.
0: But also TEA set-asides. Would you give somebody a TEA set-aside for India?
2: Of course. It changes all the time. For example, if we're looking at a brand name, you know, and it's a glitzy, glamorous brand name, guess which market is going to love it? My Russian-speaking clients. (laughs) You know, they feel very comfortable with the Ritz-Carlton, with the Four Seasons and so on. So sometimes, obviously, we still want to make sure it is a very solid project. But if I feel like, okay, I have prospective clients that would feel very strongly and very comfortable with going into the project, then we want to onboard it. So first thing, as a either a project developer or NC, you would reach out to me, send me the project update. You want to probably bother me a little bit, like a few times because I do get multiple projects. So you want to tell me why you think your project is going to do better than others and for which market. Mm. And then we look at it when we do due diligence, it costs us money. Mm. So we can't onboard every single project that we possibly want to work with. So we try to be selective and certain projects we onboard without charging them anything because we know there's going to be demand from our side and so we kind of take on the costs and front of the cost of the due diligence and add them to our deal room. However, there are some projects that we think are great. But if we exceeded our free project amount in our deal room, then sometimes I would offer the projects if you're willing to cover our costs for the due diligence, which is not much. But if you're willing to cover it, then we can run the due diligence and then we can add the project to the deal room and our brokers will be able to offer it. If we don't think the project is a good fit for our client base at all, we will tell you because no point of, of you fronting the due diligence cost. There's certain markets that you may do really well in. So what's the point of trying to offer it to our group? So far, our group, we do have a strong Chinese agent in in Dalmore. We have a strong Indian agent, agent broker, Latin America, Eastern Europe. So we kind of have somebody that covers the major regions, you know. But keep in mind, our investors are U.S.-based investors. You still have your foreign agents that will do the sales. And our investors are usually people who either are here on vacation or have been living, working here. And now they need a green card.
0: That's very interesting. So your clients are US based clients. And of course these are reg D clients. But you mm-hmm. don't see your investors literally in former Soviet Union countries that these reg S's may also be your clients?
2: Some of them are. So we definitely have we definitely have both. But I anticipate, and that's part of my shift towards this role from being an attorney, is I will anticipate that more and more of them will be Reg D clients because even my clients who are from the Soviet Union, the ones that tend to decide to do EB-5, they tend to come to Miami and visit a lot. And then their kids become students here or they have an apartment here. And a lot of them are here for prolonged stays, either on tourist or student visas when they're making the decision and making the investment. I used to see in the beginning of my career more of them signing documents from Kazakhstan or from Russia or from Nigeria directly. I am now seeing more and more of them signing the documents while they're here in the U.S. Right. And same with the Latin American clients. The Latin American ones used mm -hmm. to be all Reg S, more and more seeing Reg D.
0: It's reasonable if you're going to invest such a large figure in a project for your family, you want to come kick the tires, you're definitely going to come take a look if it's at all possible. In some situations it isn't, but in many, many instances they can get on a plane and come take a look at the projects where they may be.
2: Mm-hmm. We're also seeing, I think a lot of people are kicking the tires on the country as a whole. I'm seeing so many people saying, before I even think about immigrating, let me stay in Miami for four months. Let me go to Seattle. Let me send my son to university and see if he likes it the first year. So once they start having longer visits and they get a feel for the environment, then it's easier for them to make a decision about the permanent state.
0: Amazing. And we mentioned the glitz for the Russians and maybe rural for the Indians, but what do you think of the other parameters that make a a great project that people will be looking for? Maybe it's market-based. Everyone has different interests, but... What is it that you're looking for specifically if you say this is a project that we're even going to we're not going to ask for anything up front it's such a good project we know it's going to sell like hotcakes what does a project mm-hmm. like that look like
2: So for me the security of the investment is incredibly important we don't see this often but we occasionally see a project where the EB5 loan is in the first-lien position So a senior loan on an asset obviously and not a super not a super risky asset. If it's a senior loan on a mine, not so safe. But we're talking about a standardized, you know, commercial building, apartments, and so on. Obviously, we always want to see the developer in their history, that this is the solid developer. The regional center and their history. Because if the regional center has a great history, they have a great team, a great legal team, then I know the immigration process is going to go as well as it can. You know, not to say USCAS will still create surprises for us and we have to pivot, but it's as well as the process can go because we never want to put a client in a amazing project where the developer is this massive developer that everybody knows, but they open their own regional center. They don't have a team. You're getting to the IA29 stage and no one knew that someone was supposed to be in charge of collecting this document or that document or tracing the funds you know so experience of the regional center experience of the developer the actual capital stack of the experience project experience
0: of the immigration attorney also very important
2: we're we're getting we're getting there part of you know what i do now in my role is i end up referring a lot of my clients because they come to me first and because i don't take them on as an immigration attorney i refer them out so needless to say i want to make sure they go to a very experienced attorney Part of why I created also my product for the immigration attorneys, even if you have an immigration attorney that is not very experienced, now they have access through EB-5 support for attorneys. They have access to the tools. It's much harder to mess up a case if you're following those checklists. And if I am the broker representing the client, I will look at the final source of funds. And I actually inform all the attorneys that I will do a review before the file goes out because... As a broker, I want to make sure this is an approvable file and I have all the experience necessary. So I will give feedback to the attorney and to the client if I see any obvious holes.
0: There's a benefit so to that, that as well. You're the broker dealer who's going to get some kind of residuals over the, over the life of this investment. If they get kicked back after two years and denied there goes your return on investment. So for sure, that is a very prudent thing to do. It happens that you have that expertise, and probably none of the other brokerages out there can can claim to have that kind of legal expertise. So I think you're bringing something very very positive to the table there. You know, the the investors who are coming to you want to know ultimately that they're going to be approved, and you know, the best chances of getting their investment back as well. So the fact that you have the economics background, the banking background, the legal immigration, the EB-5 immigration legal expertise, plus now you're a licensed broker dealer, there's no doubt that you are providing super great value and value add for all of your clients. So I think they're very, very lucky to have a wonder woman like you, an EB-5 superhero like you to help them in their whole family endeavor.
2: Thank you, Matt. I cannot cook and I cannot sing. But <laughs> I can review your EB five petition and give you the best chance, probably, of <laughs> getting it approved. The uh, as good of a chance as we can. But thank you so much. It's so nice to hear someone from the industry who has seen all the different aspects of it. To for for you, it just clicks in how all these elements of my background really fit in and why it's helpful. Time and time again, we hear from clients. They like the idea of the dual verification system. They have their immigration attorney, but then I also will look at the documents before they're filed. I used to do as an attorney on top of the fact that my practice was volume. I think I've represented close to seven hundred families in the last ten years. That's amazing. It, it 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 was wonderful, but it it's a lot. But it's in different countries. But also we used to do file review for regional centers. So regional centers would hire us to do what I do now before the file gets filed because regional centers didn't want to get denials either. You know, they want to make sure there's no inexperienced attorneys who are putting together bad cases and then they have to refund the money. It's amazing how many... That sources of funds I have seen that were fixable. They were fixable, thank God. But they certainly would not have been approved if they were filed the way they were. So it's, it just comes with experience, I think. Sometimes I ask this good...
0: question about whether it be a horror story or a hero story. Any stories you could share with us to leave us with?
2: I will share a source of funds for a story because it is funny. I don't know what the attorney was thinking. And the attorney was not from the EB-5 space, but was actually a high-level attorney in a big law firm. They filed a case where the source of funds was a gift from an anonymous donor, from an anonymous source. And they wrote this whole beautiful letter, how the investor has been a good family friend for years of a very affluent American family. And this very affluent American family, because they're so high profile, they did not want to disclose their identity or where the funds came from. So they're gifted uh, the 500000 Obviously, they're illegal for the investor because they're a gift. And that's it. That, unfortunately, was a case that didn't come to me for the review before it was filed. That was a case that came to us when they received annoyed. Yeah. And there was no saving it. There was no saving it, unfortunately. The family did find another route to come to the United States, thank goodness. But... I just looked at it and am like, is this a joke? Like <laughs> your source of funds is anonymous.
0: Right. It could um, be Rockefeller, but if you don't tell us who it is, we're going to be always very wary about that. I mean, I think the intention was probably the right place, trying to do a good thing for another person, but that's not going to fly with you, USCIS.
2: The attorney should have told the clients, you cannot make an anonymous gift from an anonymous person because that's just not the the requirements of the program. So I feel like their attorney should have advised them differently, but that being said, I think we have seen generally, I think most attorneys are are getting a better sense of what they need to do. I'm very pleased with a lot of foreign agents. Some of the foreign agents, maybe because they've done it so much, or maybe they have the foreign attorney mentality, they get into the nitty gritty of all the sources of funds. And so... Overall, again, still statistically speaking, the program is doing really well and has a really high chance of approval. So using the right professionals, taking it very seriously is important.
0: That was a beautiful story. It was a horror story. Maybe you have a hero (laughs) story. We'd like to hear one of your hero stories if you've got one to share.
2: Oh, we have a few. We have a few. And I have to say that USCIS has been sometimes extremely reasonable too. We have a story where this was unfortunate but the one of the clients lost their attorney the attorney passed away and missed the filing deadline for an RFE response wow and by the time the client found out that everything there was already a, you know a denial forthcoming and we were able to appeal it on the basis of what happened that the attorney sadly passed away <laughs> and so they reverse the denial. The hero stories. I mean, I think I just will speak generally. You know, I mentioned that there are about 700 families that I've represented throughout my career. Obviously, there's still a, a vast number of them that are currently pending. But I am going to say that out of the ones that have gone through the process, I think I have three denials and. Two are on an appeal. So understandable issues there. The clients were not 100% sure they were going to get approved, but they are on the appeal because they have been able to gather more evidence throughout the years. And they're trying to use that indirect evidence to try to close some of the gaps. That's One, definitely a unfortunately-
0: 99% plus success records so i think you should be very proud of that it's incredible
2: i was incredibly incredibly proud of that that's not to say that i actually think that that i think usas now is harsher on their review so i wouldn't say that if i stayed on practice we would maintain it but yeah a few years back when i looked at it i was so pleased because the average rate of denial was still about So we brought it down. And that's where I saw my role, try to bring down the average rate to as close to zero as possible. And I did not refuse to take on difficult cases. That's another thing. It's easy to have 100% uh, approval rate if you only take perfect cases. I think a lot of it has to do with listening to your clients, offering alternatives guiding them. Listen, if your source of funds is from 20 years ago and you don't have any documents to show what happened 20 years ago, but your aunt has a perfectly clean source of funds and your aunt is willing to lend you the money and you have a salary now that you can pay off your aunt with in the next five years of working, borrow the funds from your aunt. Let's source her funds, show that you have your lawful salary that you can pay this off with. And so it's, it's about working with your client and offering them alternatives that are realistic for what they do.
0: Beautiful. Irina Rostova, you are really a wonder woman in the EB5 space. There's probably no one better to go to for legal advice. And now you can add value introducing projects too. I look forward to hearing more EB5 superhero stories from you. Onward and upward, looking forward to more EB5 superhero stories from you.
2: Matt, thank you for doing this. Thank you for highlighting all the good we have in this program. It was such a pleasure in chatting with you. Hopefully, I'll be back and hopefully we'll have more EB5 heroes coming from the training, the EB5 support for attorneys and from our industry. Also, what you guys are doing on the project side is really wonderful. It's so satisfying to go visit these finished projects. It's just wonderful. Thanks, Matt. Take care.
0: That's a wrap. Irina Rostova and other EB5 superheroes like her are the industry's best and brightest who are flying onward and upward to bring out the best in EB-5. Join me on the next episode to meet the next EB-5 superhero.
1: Thank you for listening to the EB-5 Superheroes podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the good guys and good gals who believe in EB-5 and the American dream. To access today's show notes, ask Matt a question, or suggest an EB-5 superhero to be featured on the show, visit EB5Superheroes.com.